Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 210. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is my co-host, Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. Great to be here. I'm so glad to be back. Thanks so much for doing that solo show last week. Oh, it's fun. But not nearly as fun as when we're together virtually anyway. (laughs) Well, we've got a fully packed program today. We'll be covering a couple of cosmetic science news stories, catching up from my hiatus, and answering questions about is silicone suffocating hair and causing hair loss? Do proteins and nail products strengthen nails? What is goat's milk doing in soaps and more? What's an affordable version of SkinCeuticals Triple Lipid Restore? And is Bakukiol safe during pregnancy? But first, let's talk about the last couple weeks. Right. We were in LA together. Boy, that was quite a little trip we had, huh? Or I had. You yeah, it was there, so great right? to see you. We did our first Beauty Brains meetup. Perry and I met a couple fans down in downtown LA. It was so awesome um, to see everyone that came out and to meet our fans in person. And then the next night, I got to see you a second time. Right. It was the Sustainable Beauty Panel. And we were, uh, there were over 100 people there. And it was kind of an industry kind of thing. But we got to talk about whether beauty products are sustainable. And you know, it occurred to me during that whole sustainability talk and listening to all the people talk about their sustainability efforts the one main point about sustainability that never got emphasized very much is that it's easy to be sustainable these companies could easily be more sustainable just stop selling so much (laughs) (laughs) you can just reduce the amount that you make by just not selling as much i don't know nobody ever seems to take that sustainability route no i mentioned to someone at work the other day that if people were really interested in preventing the damage that the cosmetics industry does to the environment and energy consumption, they would just not use cosmetic products at all. Right. You wouldn't even need to move to like water-free or bottle-free. You just, just don't buy that bottle. You know, you know what? Shampoo your head every other day. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. 50% cut down. Well, to our fans, if you're interested in watching the panel that Perry was on and that I got to watch in person, it will be posted on the EcoWell account. The EcoWell is another industry podcast that focuses on green and sustainable beauty in our industry, and you'll be able to watch the panel on there. Yeah, that'll be fun. You can see what everyone had to say about sustainable beauty. Yeah. Well, let's move on to some beauty science news. Valerie, uh, I saw that you got contacted about this story, but I got contacted a few times about this Diva Curl story. <laughs> oh gosh, the the biggest news this week is Diva Curl making people's hair fall out. It it seems so strange though. Sometimes this happens where there's a story. I remember with that with the Jacqueline Hill story where we got contacted by a whole bunch of people like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" What do you, and it's like it seems very weird that this that people like directly contact us about this i'm i'm a little suspicious of that but it was an interesting story so i i looked into it and i know that you looked into it too 
Yeah, well, it's all over social media. It, it is, definitely is. Uh, so I looked at the Diva Curl products and based on their marketing, you know, on some level, I say, you know, this kind of backlash serves you right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look Aww. at their marketing. They were they were totally, you know, fear mongers. I mean, mm-hmm. they claim that to be free of the harsh ingredients, you know, as if everyone else's products are harsh or dangerous to use. And then, of course, they were one of the no sulfates or no parabens and no silicones, no phthalates, mineral, gluten-free, you know, all that other free-from BS that I think really damages the industry. So while maybe they're being unfairly treated here, I say it really couldn't happen to a nicer brand. Yeah, I, I mean, definitely the way that they have curated their product portfolio certainly is not helping them in this case. I I don't think the products directly are causing any of the challenges that people are claiming to have, which is hair loss or their curl pattern is being lost. Right. Based on the ingredients, I didn't see anything that would cause hair loss. Exactly. And some people are saying it's the preservatives that they're using. And, and really, that's not the case. If you recall uh, 10 years ago, or maybe it wasn't 10 years ago, it was seven years ago. Remember the WEN brand? That debacle? Oh, yeah, when, yeah. Yeah. It's, it was kind uh, of the same kind of thing, right? Exactly. So Diva Curl is a brand that subscribes to the no-poo or low-poo uh, cleansing methods for hair. And when was one of the first no-poo cleansers on the market where basically uh, it's a very lightweight conditioner on the hair. They say, set aside your shampoo, only use our very gentle light cleansing conditioner. And then of course, a bunch of people are complaining that their hair fell out. And when does have a couple formulation issues that I do know about because I have a couple people uh, on the inside and that was part of the challenge. Really when you're talking about not shampooing the hair, not cleansing the scalp, and you're only depositing stuff onto the scalp of of course that your hair is going to fall out. So I think with Diva Curl, it's partially two things here. We have the method in which they're asking their users to subscribe to. So that's not washing your hair. They actually don't even have a real shampoo in their line. There's this gentle micellar type cleanser, which only uses cocamidopropyl betaine, which is not a very effective surfactant when it's used as a primary surfactant. Uh, but then they have all these conditioning, depositing uh, things. And at the end of the day, when you're using those types of product, you're you're not really cleansing your scalp. And so of course, uh, maybe you could get buildup over time, but then also you're not really washing anything away from the scalp nor from the hair. So essentially, if you don't wash your hair, these products are essentially like you're not washing your hair. You're just putting more and more stuff in it. And it's not terribly surprising over time that maybe some people's hair would fall out because of that. Exactly. And the second thing compounded by the fact that they have, it's it's really a lifestyle of this no poo or low poo. When you look at their ingredients, they're not incredibly rinse friendly from the hair. So it's not like uh, something really detergent where you are shampooing or applying it and it rinses from the hair. Incredible. Some of these ingredients, I don't think tend to rinse easily from the hair. So you would have to really use a lot of water or mechanical action to get them removed. And even then I think you'll have residual product left. So Two, when you're using things with poor rinseability, they can also be left on the scalp, left on the hair fiber, and over time, it's it's just not good. I don't think that the products are permanently changing curl pattern. I think that's very difficult to do, but I think that these yeah. people have a sort of scum-like buildup on their hair, and that's what's <laughs> weighing the curls down 
um, and that's good for it. their marketing, right? Scum like build up. <laughs> oh my. Oh no, I mean, but that that's my theory, and and that's from real life experience. That's from developing hair products, and so I, I think it's twofold. I think it's the methodology. I think you really need to cleanse your hair, and then two, I think you need to use products that rinse very well from the hair. Yeah, I mean, people might just be not shampooing their hair, and they're realizing how terrible that makes hair feel. <laughs> You know, I actually, when I was working on the no poo uh, line early on in, the, in when I was on the Tresemme brand, you know, I did the experiment where I only washed my hair with conditioner for a month. What happened? That my hair felt terrible. <laughs> I mean, it didn't fall out or anything. It just felt terrible. It just always felt like it was dirty all the time. Yeah, and, it's and, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. People, you know, some people, some people like the way that feels. I did. I, I thought it was bad. You know, an, another thing that I, I thought about, though, it's the, the one thing I thought it was weird is that so many people just jumped on this on social media. Yeah. Why? Why did? Why is it now? Why didn't they talk about it before? Why is it all of a sudden at once? Everyone's not saying nice things. It's a very good question. I I can only imagine, but it, it could have just been that. Maybe the diva curl people kind of pissed off just some influencer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if they have a big uh, following, you know, an influencer can really have a negative impact on a brand. I think on some level that was a problem that the Wen people had too. I'm not sure that the Wen products were making people's hair as bad as they got the backlash for. I think one of the problems was that their their business practices made it really hard to unsubscribe and people were getting mad about stuff like that. And, you know, when they saw other people complaining about the product, they jumped in on it. And maybe something like that is going here. It's It, it kind of reminds me also of that Jaclyn Hill debacle. Remember that? Oh, gosh. Yeah. But, you know, she's still doing OK. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it, it does show that you can come back from this. And the Diva Curl people can probably come back from this. But... Boy, if you if you make the wrong influencer mad, you you better have a good strategy for dealing with that. Well, I think at the end of the day, their products are probably perfectly fine and not causing people to lose hair. But I think it's important to consider the regimen that you're using and actually shampoo your hair, people. <laughs> right. But, you know, like I said, it kind of serves them right for building a brand on fear marketing. <laughs> so I don't have much sympathy <laughs> for them. Oh, gosh. Speaking of no sympathy, <laughs> did you see the story about Revlon teaming up with the Environmental Working Group? Ugh, disgusting. This is an organization I don't have much sympathy for. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, according to the story, uh, Revlon uh, was was crowing about it. Actually, the EWG was crowing about it more, but uh, the Revlon has become the first global brand to get an EWG verified on their cosmetic product one of their cosmetic products called the photo ready prime plus perfecting and smoothing primer congratulations revlon <laughs> yeah and so uh, so the ewg has this certification process if you jump through a bunch of hoops and pay them the 500 dollars fee that it costs to uh, register and then the ongoing money to have your thing registered over time um then you too can get the little ewg seal of approval what usually happens is the small brands that are trying to make a name for themselves will pay this money because from a marketing standpoint, it's it makes sense for them. Big companies typically don't need this kind of thing. 
Although, this is actually the second big company that I saw because Herbal Essences has a, has a, a couple of SKUs that they teamed up with the EWG to get certified on. And now Revlon does. And this this just as a as an industry insider and cosmetic chemist, this just really bugs me because there are no scientists at the EWG, or at least that's not the the major makeup mm-hmm. of the people who run the EWG, and they have no credibility as far as what is considered safe. And I mean, it's not like they have toxicologists deciding on good safety standards. These are not toxicologists who are making these decisions. And I don't understand how a company like Revlon, a big company like Revlon, who presumably already hires toxicologists on staff and regulatory people, why would they sort of give up their control of whether their product is safety to an an organization who is not science-based? And I just think it's a terrible move and it's it's a terrible thing for our industry to see the big companies embracing this fear-mongering group like the EWG. That's what I was most disappointed to see was that a company in the industry who already has to comply with a rigorous safety standards, if they are truly a global company, they're doing that and they have the regulatory staff uh, to follow all the appropriate steps. I'm really disappointed that they would align with them. And really, why just one product? To me, it it's silly. What about the rest of your products? Right. Well, if if you say, well, you only have one that's certified, that means all the rest of your products are not safe, I guess. Right. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. And to me, that's like absolutely negative. That's a horrible thing. I think this is a troubling move to see uh, big companies uh, embracing these sort of organizations when they know that their own safety standards are higher than the safety standards of these groups. But We'll see. I mean, I guess it works for marketing. Oh, marketing. Well, I think we have one additional thing that we're going to do on the show today. It's another rant. We actually had really good feedback on a, on past rants that we've done, and you guys really love them. You love to hear our thoughts. You love to hear us get heated. So we have a new rant. I was tipped off by this segment by one of our listeners. The Hallmark Channel has this home and family show and they had these they had this one (laughs) natural expert segment come on and talk about diy eye makeup uh at home and family so i'll i'll provide a link to the video in the show notes but uh, you know i i just thought i'd do a short breakdown of this segment um from the home and family channel on the hallmark channel they they featured a natural beauty product expert and a lot of misleading claims and terrible advice so i thought it'd be helpful to talk about some of the claims that they made in the video because these 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 aren't new claims and i'm sure you've heard them all before and possibly wondered whether they were true or whether you should be concerned now so i would say in case uh, you you could go watch the video but although you don't need to watch the video you can just listen to me rant <laughs> right valerie <laughs> uh, save the time don't watch the video it's pretty bad <laughs> sure. so the segment starts off they're talking about do-it-yourself eye makeups so right up front i want to say that making your own cosmetics for your eyes is a dumb idea don't do that dumb I mean... idea don't do it yeah, I mean, I think it is literally the worst DIY cosmetic product that you can make. I, and maybe a sunscreen is worse, 
but definitely I make a DIY is not a good idea. Well, at least with sunscreen, it's like you burn. Okay, you're an idiot. Big deal. You've increased right. cellular damage to your to your cells. I personally like my eyesight. Right. That that is that is a good point because if you make a bad sunscreen, you're going to go out in the sun and get burned and then you'll be like, "Oh, I'm not going to use that again." But on eye makeup, I mean, the chance of you getting an eye infection from a, a DIY, it's not insignificant, right? In fact, the American Academy of Ophthalmology recommends you only use products that are specifically designed for the eyes and made by professionals. I, I added that last section, but I think I'm safe with that. So the presenter, she, so she then gets into the typical chemical fear-mongering saying that Eye makeup is the most toxic of all products that you put on your face. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? I mean, eye makeup is certainly no more toxic than any of the other products that you're going to be putting on your face. In fact, in some ways, it's really the most strictly regulated of all cosmetic products since only a very small set of colorants are allowed for use in the eye area. I dare say, of all the color cosmetics, eye makeup is actually the safest of all the ones out there. I totally agree. Additionally, when you create a product for the eye area, Perry mentioned these colorants, which colorants are highly, highly regulated. You also have to do additional testing to pr prove safety for the eye area. So Perry's not wrong when he says these are probably the safest of all color cosmetic products. Then they give their mascara formula. Oh. Uh, coconut coconut oil, aloe vera gel, and activated charcoal. <laughs> Just don't do this, right? Activated charcoal oh. is not an approved colorant for eye makeup. And then they don't even include a preservative in the product. Aloe vera gel products need a preservative. I mean, this is just a bad idea. Shame on you, Hallmark Channel. That's terrible. Then after... Then after this uh, natural product expert was showing how easy it is to make their great products and how they work, the interviewer says, I'm shocked that more people aren't making it like this. <laughs> I want you to ask yourself. No way. I want you to ask yourself, right? <laughs> right. Ask yourself, so why aren't people doing this? So ignoring the safety risks that I talked about, of course, isn't the most obvious reason that people aren't doing this be because they don't work that well? <laughs> I mean, it's not easy to make eyeliners. I mean, sure, this a simple formula like this might have been great in the dark ages or the early 20th century, but we really do have better technology these days. Scientists have literally spent decades improving on these products. So people don't generally use DIY formulas because they really don't work that well. Or additionally, the ones that you can get at the store leverage technology and they just work way better, with minimal risk, no fuss, it's fun. You know, it's it's also always funny to me that people talk about how much money they could save by making their own. It doesn't seem like it's saving money to me. I don't maybe, maybe aloe and coconut oil and such would save you money, but you're probably throwing most of it away. When you have to go to the doctor because you have an infection from all the bacterial toxins <laughs> in your product. But anyway, I digress. Here. I just got one more, one more thing. Uh, they also suggested using cocoa powder for a brown shade. <laughs> this is another ingredient that is not proven for safer on the eyes. Please don't do that. Unless you want your dog to lick your eyes. So, <laughs> so the bottom line is, Hallmark Channel, if you want a segment uh, of 
people making makeup that is safe and you want good advice, why don't you get a cosmetic chemist in there to to give to, to work that segment? I'm sure me or Valerie could do it. We'd love to call my agent. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't have an agent, but you can still call yeah, me. That's okay. I'm sure they're not going to want us either, you know. And, and of course, my chances of working at Revlon are out the window, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you well. know what's not out the window? Our chances to answer these great questions. <laughs> well, our first question is an audio question. Hit play, Perry. Hi, beauty brains. My name's Gemma. I'm a hairdresser. I've been hairdressing for 18 years now, and... Even now, I find some of the conflicting information that we get still so confusing. And um, your podcasts have been so helpful so that I can actually pass on accurate information and knowledge onto my clients. Um, And I was wondering if you could clear this one up for me. I've just listened to a podcast, um, Fat Mascara. Uh, episode 179 with Chris Appleton, um, which was a great podcast, but there was something on there that he said about silicones being in products that suffocate the hair and cause hair loss and and things like that. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were, whether this was accurate, whether there's any element of truth to this or not, or whether it's another myth. Um, looking forward to hearing your response. Thanks. Oh, Gemma, thanks so much. So in short, no, silicones do not suffocate the hair and cause hair loss. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. So why, why do silicones get such a bad reputation? <laughs> Poor silicones. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the long answer to this question is that silicones, I really just don't like when people use that term because it's really a term that to talk about a large class of molecules featuring a silicone backbone. It's kind of like when people say animals and they think, oh, all animals are the same. Like <laughs> there's like fish and elephants and tigers. They're not all the same. Exactly. Yeah. Silicones can have so many different properties. They're functionalized to do different things. Some silicones are volatile, like cyclopentasiloxane, and they're used for slip and glide in a formulation to make that skin cream feel really light and slippy. Other silicones can be functionalized to have a property like sticking to the hair and aiding color protection or thermal protection when you're heat styling your hair, and they can either stay on the hair or be washed off. Other silicones can provide temporary substantivity to prevent frizz. Really a whole gamut of functionalities are possible when we're talking about silicone chemistry. So to say, can silicone suffocate the hair and cause hair loss? Which ones are you, which ones are we talking about here? Yeah, I've not seen any evidence that silicone is making your hair fall out. Although, unless it's uh, like a, a conditioner that you just leave in your hair and you build up until your hair falls out. I don't know. Exactly. Just like that diva curl discussion we talked right, about. Exactly. But so, so silicones can't really cause hair loss when they're in a product that's that's being used properly. Hair loss is caused by a variety of things, which we've covered extensively in previous episodes, including episode 193. I think the myth that silicones cause hair loss is perpetuated by the fact that some silicones are substantive meaning they're designed to build up on the hair and provide some benefit. Amodimethicone is one of them that's often vilified, but it's a wonderful color protectant. However, every once in a while, you got to use something that doesn't contain amodimethicone and wash it out of your hair. So if we've learned anything today, it's important that no matter what you use, use a clarifying shampoo occasionally and cleanse the hair and scalp. Bottom line, silicones are not going to suffocate the hair or skin and cause hair loss. Silicones are a wide class of molecules that can provide great benefits. 
I think one of the reasons they get a bad rap is that uh, salon brands, in a way to set themselves apart, know that some of the store brands are going to use silicones. And if they say we're silicone free, it's a way to use fear marketing to get them, get people to not buy store brands and to buy salon brands. That's just one of my guesses. This question comes to us from Lori. Lori says, I have hyperthyroidism. I play the guitar so my fingernails on the left hand are short and I'm trying still to grow the nails on my right hand. I play classical. Nails are very important in this type of guitar playing. The nail on the thumb on my left has cracked deep. Now, so bear in mind it's already pretty short. So I put clear nail polish on it, the Sally Hansen Ultimate Shield. I read that a nail polish with protein strengthens the nails and none of them show the ingredients. Do I use the OPI Nail Envy like my hairdresser recommends or should I use something else? We've talked about nails a lot. We have. Too bad we don't have Doug Shoon on the uh, on the horn. To, to Doug Shoon is great, guys. If if you're really interested in nails, I, I'd give him a follow. He's a great right. uh, resource for nail technicians and the like. And the science-based guy, too. So let's talk about nail strengtheners. Although we could talk about classical guitar playing. <laughs> though, though, I, though I don't play, I do, I do uh, pluck the strings of a ukulele every so often. <laughs> Not nearly the same. I don't know if you know this, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist actually studied guitar in college. Oh, really? Yeah, he has a few of them. What does he use on his nails? Does he use any <laughs> He doesn't use any of this stuff. Um, I'm not allowed to touch his guitars. They're around the house. I Sometimes I, I pluck yeah. them when he's not home. Oh. Yeah. But, you know, I would love to hear Lori play the guitar. Oh, yes. Uh, maybe she could send in a little sampling after we give this great advice about what nail strengthener to use. Uh, so a nail strengthener polish is one that can actually help recondition your nails. Nail strengthener ingredients that actually have an impact include ethyl acetate, butyl acetate, nitrocellulose, and tosylamide formaldehyde resin. Things like proteins are really just claims ingredients in these kinds of products, and they don't actually have any additional function uh, you know, I, I looked and there, there wasn't, I mean, that was my sense like right away, but no, I, as far as nail polishes go and strengtheners go, you know, the, the main five are the ingredients that actually have the effect. So, um, you can try a product. Like, I mean, if you like Sally Hansen, you can try a product, uh, like the Sally Hansen mega strength hardener. <laughs> And it's got all of those ingredients uh, that actually put the strengthening coating on the nail. I've actually used that one. It's pretty good. Oh, good. Well, it doesn't have the proteins, but like I said, proteins aren't doing much. In truth, nail polish technology hasn't really changed that much a lot over the years. So any product that says it's going to strengthen your nails, I mean, as long as it has like nitrocellulose and the other ingredients I mentioned, it's probably going to work pretty well. Uh, it should keep your nails strong, at least strong enough for plucking guitars. Our third question of the night from Sheila says, you guys are absolutely fantastic. Your knowledge on all oh, things beauty nice. is astounding. I Yay. always learn something from the two of you. But I was wondering what your thoughts are on goat's milk and its use in soaps, body washes, shampoos, and conditioners. Have you ever used goat's milk, Perry? I have not, although I really do love watching goat parkour videos on YouTube. 
<laughs> is that a thing? Oh yeah, goats. You gotta see goat videos on YouTube. I could just watch them and giggle for hours. They're so fun. Oh my gosh. Well, goat's milk is is actually a fantastic product when you look at it. It's rich in lipids, mostly triglycerides, and a small portion of phospholipids and sterols. And there's also some uh, proteins and natural sugars in there. The fatty acids in the milk are mostly medium chain fatty acids, which are C18 to 14 in length. People say that goat's milk moisturizes and nourishes the skin. I would probably agree on that given the composition. The proteins in the goat's milk also may have good film forming properties leading to hydration on the skin. When you get that protein film, it often uh, either attracts moisture or uh, keeps moisture trapped in. I have seen some product claims on the market where they claim the lactose in goat's milk is responsible for hydration. Mm, maybe. A few brands using goat's milk tout it as being high in lactic acid, which is an alpha hydroxy acid that aids in exfoliation of the skin. But if you listen to episode 181 that we did, it's unlikely that goat's milk will provide any exfoliation benefit as it probably doesn't contain a lot of free lactic acid in the product. We did a good deep dive on episode 181. On the various milks. Yeah, it's, milk is a very interesting topic. I actually almost wanted That's to right. go into food chemistry, but anyway, I digress. And I eat a lot of cereal in the morning with milk. Ooh. Well, Kate Somerville is one of the larger skincare brands that features goat milk as an active ingredient. But for the most part, I would say that goat's milk is most commonly used in homemade or handcrafted cosmetics as a formulator working at a large company. Not only is there a push, especially recently, to use products or ingredients that are free of animal byproducts with, with veganism being popular right now in cosmetics, but actually using goat's milk can be difficult to work with. It's typically supplied as a powder and has to be solubilized in the formula. It also is typically off color, meaning it's not a pure white. It's uh, actually slightly yellowish, which can be a challenge to work with in a lot of formulas. Additionally, because of the composition, it can add complexity to the formula, making it stable in the formula. And also it can add complexity to preservation. And even though there are probably some alluring benefits to using goat's milk in a formula. There are many more ingredients that I have at my fingertips uh, that can provide more benefits at a lower use level and don't create these formulation challenges for me. So personally, I would I would not grab goat's milk. And I think uh, in your experience, you wouldn't either. It's something great to use, uh, you know, if you're making a product and selling it uh, locally or you have a, a handcrafted aesthetic. Uh, but on the on the grander level, I, I just don't think brands are really using it. Also, personally, I have a hard time using ingredients that are from a food chain. I think uh, goat's milk should be used for, for consumption if it's going to be and not put in a cosmetic product, but that's just my personal formulation strategy. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I want you, putting food things in your cosmetic is really a, a microbial problem waiting to happen. <laughs> so oh, yeah. That. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said... There are other ingredients that we have that provide all of these benefits, work better, they're less expensive, they're less prone to microbial contamination, and you can still get the same marketing bang out of the story if you just take like a little, use those ingredients and then take a drop of goat's milk, put it in there and say, oh, there's goat's milk in our formula. And that's probably what a lot of companies are going to do. Although, like you said, I don't see a lot of company, a lot of big companies using goat's milk mostly because it's animal derived and we're, we're the industry as a whole is just getting away from animal ingredients yeah exactly 
Well, what's our next question? This one comes to us from Catherine. She says, hi, I was wondering if there's a more affordable alternative to this SkinCeuticals cream. The SkinCeuticals was the Triple Lipid Restored 2x4x2. <laughs> yeah, uh, I looked at this one. This one's pretty pricey. I think it was a uh, hundred and... 80 something dollars for two Well, they've ounces. got, th- what, 37 ingredients in there? That's pretty long, right? You got to pay for all that. I, I know. You, you look at this formula. I'm like, I know there's this clean beauty trend in the industry, and then they have 37 ingredients. I'm like, come Yikes. on. Less more or something like that. Anyway, they do they do have a long ingredient list. Uh, in addition to their 2x4x2, two by by two, they have 37 ingredients. But if you look at all, if you just get rid of all their fluff ingredients and these are non-functional things like the preservatives and the adjustment ingredients, there's really just a few ingredients that make this product work. These include, uh, get you ready for it? These include dimethicone, you know, that's their occlusive agent. Then mm-hmm. they have hydrogenated polyisobutene, which is an emollient. And then they have good old glycerin, which is the humectant. And they, incidentally, they do live up to their two by four by two claim uh, because they have 2% ceramides, uh, 2% ceramide three, that is. They have 4% cholesterol and then 2% sunflower seed oil. That's a pretty healthy dose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, these... The first three ingredients, which are all ahead of those other ingredients in the ingredient <laughs> list, which means they're higher concentrations, um, those other three, those first three ingredients are the ones that are going to have the primary effect, um, especially since they have a higher concentration. The thing about ingredients like ceramides, they make a very good story. And actually, when you're throwing in 2%, um, that's that's going to make for a pricier formula. So this, you know, this, this is a higher priced product, but they are using higher priced ingredients for sure. Well, except for the sunflower oil. Sunflower oil is like <laughs> 50 cents a pound or something like that. It's pretty cheap. <laughs> I don't I don't imagine cholesterol costs that much either. <laughs> to tell you the truth. I wonder where their cholesterol comes from. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's Maybe it's from all those eggs. You know how they take that eggs and then they remove all the cholesterol and they just have that extra <laughs> Could be. It gives a good waste uh, waste stream sustainability story. Yeah, not although about it. now it's an animal derived ingredient, so <laughs> ouch. <laughs> right. So no 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 vegan there. Anyway, uh, the the problem with ingredients like ceramides, and they're probably hanging their hat on the ceramides. Um, well, you can show some clinical studies that ceramides provide a benefit. What, if you look at these studies that they do, they, they set them up in such a way that the ceramide is going to shine. It's going to show the best effect. And so they'll compare it to, say, a placebo control, but they'll make the placebo kind of this crappy moisturizer that doesn't mm-hmm. provide a lot of the. And the thing is when uh, they don't usually test them against the ingredients that we know have good benefits, like the dimethicones and the petrol atoms of the world, and when they are included in a formula with those types of ingredients, usually uh, those ingredients will just wipe out any benefit that you're going to get from your topical ceramides. Um, so I don't really think that it's worth spending the money on these types of formulas because I don't think you're going to see any additional benefit versus a product that just has those main ingredients in it anyway. 
So what are some of the options? Uh, well, my advice in, in all of these things is, you know, go to your local Target and or Walmart or Walgreens and look for some store brands from a big company like uh, how about the Olay Regenerist? Uh, and incidentally, P&G does not sponsor the uh, the show here. <laughs> so we're not taking any money from them. I only recommend them because I know in the industry, Procter & Gamble spends the most money on um, consumer testing their products uh, versus any They're other. They're very thorough with yeah. it. I agree. They do. And the thing is, so they're going to make a product that works for the most number of people. Now, there's going to be a, a huge segment of the population that doesn't like their products, but most people are going to like them. So, you know, if you're just looking for dimethicone, hydrogenated polyisobutene and glycerin, you know, then, uh, you know, Olay Regenerous has glycerin, it has dimethicone, they even have a peptide and they have their niacinamide and good old hyaluronic acid. So those are all nice for the label copy, but I, you know, I think you'll get just as good a benefit from a product like that as you would from the SkinCeuticals 2x4x2. Yeah, and I actually think Olay is a great product. I, I really like their products. I think they're good for the money. Oh, well, you know, I've I've not used them myself. <laughs> but <laughs> surprise, my, surprise. My cosmetic routine is I shampoo and I brush my teeth. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes I'll use deodorant. Not always. It's just too much. Yeah, trouble. the fragrances are a little too uh, old, old for me. But um, yeah, in general, yeah. I, I think they're really nice products for the money. Yeah, and Procter Gamble like does do a very thorough job of substantiating their claims. They are thorough. Well, our last question. It's an audio question. Hi, Perry and Valerie. My name's Sarah, and I'm from California. I want to thank you guys for the podcast. You guys saved me from an EWG and quote-unquote clean beauty rabbit hole that I had gone down. But my question for you guys today is about Bacuchiol. I have heard that one of the benefits of Bacuchiol is that it's a safe alternative to retinol for if you're uh, pregnant or breastfeeding. And since I'm looking to expand my family, I don't want to start a retinol therapy because I have heard that it's not safe um, during pregnancy and breastfeeding. But my question is, has Bacuchiol actually been studied and shown to be safe during pregnancy or breastfeeding, or is that just a marketing ploy? Thank you, guys. Well, the question of whether retinol is safe during pregnancy is not as cut and dry. Although, if you go on the internet, um, pretty much every, if you do a search like retinol, breastfeeding, everyone will say, don't use retinol if you're pregnant or if you're breastfeeding. And that is really uh, out of concern uh, of the fact that it was found that retinoids uh, can have a teratogenic effect, and that, that just means that it uh, can affect the development of the fetus. I actually was looking at the CIR safety data on retinoids, and in fact, back in the 50s, they did show that... Uh, pumping animals up with uh, levels of retinoids actually does have a negative impact on the development of fetuses. Now, that has to do with, you know, ingesting them, but of course there's no evidence that the topical application is a problem. But as far as doctors are concerned, they're like, this is a cosmetic, let's just be better safe than sorry, right? It's not like these are gonna get into your skin or into your body. But on the rear off chance that there is some problem, they'll just say, don't use it uh, because there are other options. And so 
that seems like a pretty reasonable precaution to me. Yeah, so that's retinol and retinoids, but l- let's talk about bakuchiol. Yeah, you say bakuchiol. I, I kind of say bakuchiol, right? Well, is it is it like a tomato tomato or am I right or no? I I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm just reading it like a, an American would see it and say, "Oh, that's bakuchiol." That bakuchiol, that is some kind of good retinol like substance. Woo wee! <laughs> wow, I didn't know we were doing voices this episode. <laughs> so, well, however we say it, bakuchiol or bakuhiel. Uh, anyway, I think we all know what we're talking about. Um, there was an article published in Allure, uh, yeah, that uh, <laughs> highly technical magazine, that incidentally is still, <laughs> the still publication quoting, Allure. Uh, still quoting Randy Schuler years later. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they had an article in there, which and they said, unlike retinols, bakuchiol is completely safe to use while pregnant or breastfeeding. Uh, And you'll see similar things said on parenting and mommy blogs. But the reality is that this ingredient hasn't been tested. So those claims are very optimistic to me Um, as it it hasn't this this ingredient hasn't been safety tested. There is actually good reason, I think, to avoid Bakuchiol since it hasn't been safety tested for use during pregnancy. You know, it may be fine, but until safety testing is done, I really wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, on one hand, you know, the suppliers are saying, oh, it's just like retinol. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, it's not like retinol. It's, you know, it's totally safe to use, blah, blah, blah. So for me, um, I'm kind of like, which one is it? And I just look at the uh, the safety of it. I mean, I looked through the CIR. It hasn't been evaluated for safety. There's no safety data on this. And the thing about uh, natural extracts like this, you know, I'm skeptical of natural extracts anyway. Bakuchiol is a plant extract, which means you have no idea of the purity of the ingredient that the company is using, right? There are no good analytical tests that say, oh, this is this quality of Bakuchiol extract from this source. And, you know, you pretty much don't know what you're getting. And, you know, that the chances of you getting a uh, allergic reaction to this are, are not insignificant. There was actually a, a study published in 2019 saying Bakuchiol is a, a known allergen for some people. So, that could be a problem. And the other thing, these natural extracts, you know, just from the supply side, you know, somebody could just be purchasing brown water and spiking them with a retinol and, you know, getting your effects. So how would you know they're not doing that? Um, that's why, as you can tell, I'm super skeptical of natural extracts. And so I would just avoid it since there's other things that you could use. Yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of hype over Bakugiol, and I think it remains to be seen uh, whether or not it's really doing those things. I'm a little skeptical. I, I think that uh, the available evidence that's there doesn't support their use as a good alternative to retinoids. Retinoids are pretty powerful. And uh, I think there's just what, a couple small studies on the internet showing some equivalence, uh, if the study was even set up correctly. Uh, but these haven't been widely replicated. And I think that there's just tons of history and evidence with retinoids. So uh, why not do the real deal? Exactly. But if you're pregnant, you know, you should avoid it. 
and if you're pregnant, I would say st- avoid Bakuchiol too. Stick with the, the proven safe ingredients like benzoyl peroxide and salicylic acid. You know, don't get me wrong, Bakuchiol might be perfectly safe. I just think it's better to avoid it and be cautious than to take a risk. Yeah, I would also be wary of taking advice from journals like Allure. I mean, they're great and fun to read, but uh, you know, when you're talking about pregnancy and your health, always consult a doctor. Um, don't take the safety advice from different mommy blogs or other places on the internet. Talk to your doctor. Yeah, or even a cosmetic science podcast. I mean, we are lovely people, but we are not doctors. <laughs> <laughs> not a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Not not yet anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, gosh, what a big show we had today, everyone. Thank you wow, so much for listening. Wow, five questions and a couple of rants. What a... <laughs> yes, thank you so much. If you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That will help other people find the show and ensure that we continue to get a full docket of beauty questions. Incidentally, if you have a beauty question and you want us to answer, just send us an email at thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And we do prefer if you just record your voice in your smartphone and then email that to us. Also, you can ask us a question through our various social media accounts, which you can follow on Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains, and we have a Facebook page. And the Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do it. This will keep the show ad-free, and we won't take any money from Olay to publicize Regenerous either. But I will so take some free the... Olay product. I'm not against okay. that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we, that keeps the financial bias out of the show. Uh, and so we can say whatever we want about any product. So if you like what we do and you want to see us keep doing it, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Oh, the cats. <laughs> Kittens. <laughs>